You're listening to the Film Comment Podcast from the Cannes Film Festival. Over the next week, Editor-in-Chief Nicholas Rapold and a variety of guests will be discussing the highs and lows of the most famous film event in the world. On today's edition, Kirill Serebrnikov's Leto and Sergei Lozenitsa's Donbass. But first, here's a word from our sponsors. This episode of the Film Comment Podcast is brought to you by MUBI, a curated online cinema streaming exceptional films from around the globe. Try MUBI free for 30 days at mubi.com slash filmcomment. That's mubi.com slash filmcomment for your extended free trial. The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Filmworker. This documentary about Leon Vitale, who gave up acting to work with Stanley Kubrick for decades, offers a rare glimpse into Kubrick's filmmaking process. In theaters starting May 11th. Autograph Collection Hotels are carefully chosen for their unique design, passion for craft, and an inherent connection to the locale. Each hotel has its own exactly-like-nothing-else story to tell. The Autograph Collection Indie Film Project supports independent film and celebrates the power of storytelling to inspire and connect people and places by leaving a lasting imprint. Autograph Collection Hotels, exactly like nothing else. Hello, and welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nicholas Rapold. I am Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment, and I am coming to you live from the Cannes Film Festival. And I am happily joined by... Eric Hines, Curator of Film at Museum of the Moving Image and Film Comment Columnist. Here I am uh, with you, Nick. That's right. In all places. In all places. Palais. That's right, the Palais, which is the kind of nerve center where all the theaters are. Uh, well, not all the theaters, but most of the theaters. It's a massive structure. I got to say, is. like, I don't think I was ever quite prepared for the fact that it's all in one structure. Yeah, yeah. And, and that it's all basically architecturally structured around a, a stairs going up in the center, <laughs> uh, which is also the kind of motif of, yeah. of the festival. The red carpet upstairs, it's the trailer little bit that, that runs before movies. Yeah lets you know you're going straight to heaven every <laughs> single time. You uh, and, and they used to have names of directors on the steps. They haven't done that this year. I don't know if that was an egalitarian move or uh, I don't know. We'll see. It, or maybe it was because they misspelled a couple of directors' names last year. I don't know. <laughs> but at any rate... I think it's auteurist enough. It's auteurist enough without, yeah, name-branding the steps. Um, but we are here to talk for day two of the podcast. We will be having... A variety of guests, um, but today we're we're going to catch up with uh, Eric, who is here for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, so now our roles are actually reversed a little from Sundance, where you'll recall our our hit podcast. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, in this case, I'm marginally have more years logged here. Yeah, but, yeah, you have, of course. Um, but Eric, what's what's your read? Well, I guess I'm about thirty hours into being here, um, <laughs> and. It's hard not to, I mean, jet lag is a banal thing, but one feels But it's real. It's a real real. problem. And so to go straight into a festival where there are world premieres of films that I really want to see. And so, like, you know, the first half hour of each of my screenings yesterday were, like, physically battling sleep. Um, And then I sort of, you know, clicked in and was very attentive for the rest of the way. But I will always be aware of the fact that both of those screenings, I... Those, the first act of those films, I'm a little fuzzy on. Um, and I'm so glad that <clears throat> the nature of this conversation is that I can admit that rather than have to, you know, 
pretend fudge a detail fudge a detail here get suddenly, get suddenly picturesquely vague in a in a <laughs> in a description of the plot yeah um actually the truth is that i think part of the jet lag is aggravated by the fact that one is indoors the whole time so you right. never really adjust to the sun to what time of day it that is. you glance glance yeah. at outside i mean one thing i'll say to start because there's only oh, yeah. been to like three venues so far mm-hmm. is or four venues i guess there's a simultaneous feeling of oh wow yeah i'm in this building this is the building where these films have premiered and wow amazing to be in this room and the other this the other part of me goes oh it's fine it's just a room it's like this is all (laughs) it is really this is the big deal um that said the the main room of which seats two thousand people is an immense structure outside of maybe sports arenas I don't know. Like I said, it feels more like a sports arena than it does actually feel like a movie. You mean the, the, Lumiere, the Lumiere? The big old is Lum- Lumiere. Unbelievably big. Yeah, it, it, it is. It is you're large. really high off the ground at the top yeah. of the balcony. Yeah, and I mean, I just always feel good in there because it feels like the film is being honored by this, like, you know, large, significant space. One thing I will say, though, again, again this is probably everybody, everybody just knows this, who's been here a lot. It is really set far back that screen <laughs> it's there's true. a big stage there's a stage you, yeah you think they're gonna have a floor show or something it's like 30 yeah. yards back well <laughs> yeah i guess i guess it is a good amount <laughs> I think maybe 20 i mean it's and and you know there's a danger of it of it being reflective on the stage as well everything's black mm, so it's not the true. most the same yeah. time like there's certain details like that for yeah. for the premier place to see a film yeah there are some distracting elements. It's true. But we, nonetheless, were, were there mm-hmm. um, just recently <laughs> to see the first, after the opening film, the first film of the competition, mm. the Russian film mm-hmm. by Kirill Serebrennikov. Did I get yeah, that Yeah, sounds right? good to me. Uh, and it's called Leto. Looks like Leto as in Jared Leto. Yeah, which is tough. Cause which is tough. <laughs> <laughs> Especially because cause it's a movie about rock and roll or, and other types of music and of course Jared Leto has let's not get into that <laughs> I'd rather, You're right. I'd You're rather right. not I'm ter- I, yeah this is a terrible thing to have done alright so <laughs> anyway we just we uh, yeah that's that's the first competition movie that we'll we'll discuss yeah. and then we'll get to the other Russian right. film afterwards oh right yeah so one two punch basically that's right so Leto do you do you want to take the reins and- well I mean one thing part of the the this screening this morning and then us going right into it is there are proper nouns and details of historical figures that we could be getting into here right. that I'm not equipped to get into right now. Right. I want, I wanted to nab a, a nearby Russian <laughs> to, to pull into this podcast, so, so but none a, was available. But as a result, I think we should just talk about it in terms of character and plot sure. um, rather than, you know, uh, how far, how closely it matches relevance, right. and how these people, these figures are. As somebody who lived in Russia for a year a while ago and knows something about rock and pop, there, I'm not completely unfamiliar with the story. But in terms of situating it beyond what the film does, sure. I don't think I can do yeah. right now. So what's um, what's what, what is the story? Well, what there's, is the there's in in terms of genre elements, there's kind of the origin story for um, young rock punk folk figures in the early 80s in leningrad and there's also a love triangle that develops uh, amongst them there's one couple that they're joked in the beginning of being kind of the mick and bianca of <coughs> of, of 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 the leningrad music scene 
he's a singer songwriter um mike right <laughs> uh and she is his partner you know and then very quickly after we see him perform uh on you know in a um <laughs> i'm just going to contextualize right now for you all because we're actually on the roof of the palais yeah and we're outside and it's actually quite pleasant with breeze and <laughs> um some dim street noise but there may occasionally be a, a phone conversation yeah. that drifts in here that's that's a cutting of deals going on <laughs> or, or maybe just someone so, which is arranging very, it's, his it's dry nice, cleaning it's a nice picture for you all i'm hoping it's going to be less distracting for you than it might be for us um yeah. anyway so what i was saying <laughs> i'm trying i'm trying to shield us from it with my body um yeah and so mike and his partner after we meet them uh, he's performing on basically a state sponsored uh, rock, rock club. show, rock it's club. A rock club. Uh, it's like a chess club, but it's yeah, a rock. But club. it's a rock club. And after we meet, we we come to that space and we see them perform, then there's a beach. Very soon after that, there's a beach scene with a whole crew of music folk and hangers on. And we very quickly from there meet a young singer songwriter and his partner, um, who quickly become a focal point for the entire community because of how talented they are. And so, and so, what's the name of? Victor gets gets uh, involved uh, in the circle of mm-hmm. Mike and his his muse Natasha, right? And so Natasha, thank you. So this is what I need you for. <laughs> and anyway, so so they you know uh, they go on to form band Kino, which is a very significant band during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the the origin. This is basically, I guess, a summer or a season or so with them, um, and. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll, one thing I'll just say quickly is the thing I actually liked about them the most was the love triangle aspect. The thing that you think would be the cliche that would take real events and make them into something canned. And I actually thought that that was the most interesting aspect because I thought the three, as as th- the, the, the three characters are drawn well enough or clear enough um, and uniquely enough that the way they play off of each other in that respect seems sincere and genuine and empathetic. And I thought it was actually really an interesting portrait of a young marriage, people who probably met when they were super young and are artists and evolving and changing and are making accommodations for each other and their curiosities, um, which uh, is, I just don't see that expressed very often in, yeah. in cinema or in storytelling. Um, so I liked that quite a bit. Yeah, it finds this couple of the like rock and roller and his wife uh, at a kind of interesting moment. I mean, because the movie starts with them at that point, they already mm-hmm. have a baby, right? Uh, so when when the new talent comes to town, you can kind of see whether the story is going to start again, you know. And one kind of skillful thing the movie does is avoiding that kind of rock arc where you're, you know, you live young, you know, live fast, right? And then, you know, families, you know, you have, have a baby, you know, and then or whatever. And then, and then things start declining or you start decline before then. Right. The movie manages to kind of have things hover in a certain way for a while. And well, there's also the uh, it, this is related to the, to the love triangle part. But there's also nothing about this young man coming in that I mean, he's threatening. But the point is not that he's threatening. Like, Mike doesn't all of a sudden want him to go away. He doesn't want to not support him because of he might be coming in to steal his wife. There's there's tension there. There are emotions. But, there's again, there's not a sense like, oh, the young boy is going to come in and, and, you know, dethrone his mentor. 
doesn't really happen that way. There are right. people who want to make music together and they yeah. want to know each other. No, one of the first things Mike does is like encourage him about his lyrics, and he's mm-hmm. like, "It's a good song. If it's good, it's good." Yeah. So that's kind of an interesting, and that that's a lot of the movies that you're kind of watching stuff that's familiar and watching variations on it or, mm-hmm. or watching it sometimes do the things you think it's going to do and sometimes not and it's not even about the surprise i mean at the risk of this being a kind of critical cliche the movie itself is a bit like a pop song and being very familiar and yet still kind of comforting and and interesting and absorbing and emotionally engaging you know and and poignant um and so yeah i don't know it's also something about that you know within that theme that you're just that's what also where i struggle with the film though too in that it's so successful at at surprising me for being uh, specific. At the same time, its big moves, its big aesthetic choices tend to be very familiar choices. Um, well, yeah, let's let's talk about the filmmaking a little and, yeah. and the kind of, I don't know, sub-Caraxian <laughs> kind of yeah. gestures that, that are in here. Yeah. It's black and white, first of all. Yes. And, and I have to say, like, especially in the kind of summertime by the beach scenes, it's it's pretty intoxicating, even though if it's mm-hmm. it's kind of the ultimate in cliched images of people carefree on a beach. Right. And, right. you know, steady cam, I think, for the most part. Yeah. Lots of steady cam, lots of steady cam following people from one room to the next, kind of having fun or just tracking people in a party or something. Right. Um, but I, I mean, this this goes to the movie generally, but. The technique, there's something about it that's both, uh, yeah, kind of hackneyed, but also just kind of innocently beautiful at mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. And it's that, that's throughout the movie. Also, the, we'll talk about how it deals with music and yeah. like history of pop music. This kind of innocence, but also thoughtfulness that, that is indicates maybe some st- slight cynicism or skepticism, but mostly innocent, yeah. familiar, but you know <laughs> yeah um so it's fresh because it's innocent but then sometimes it's not <laughs> fresh yep yeah yep. yeah i mean i think there's the, there's the, there's ways in which it is very it is trying to meet them at their level in terms of their enthusiasm their naivete their passions there's also an element simultaneous to that which is kind of confusing with the entire film where it seems very much pitched from the present tense and there's an element of criticism um, what seemed maybe it might be not criticism, but an element of of judgment or impatience, and that element is introduced by this kind of, I guess, ghost-like figure who speaks to the camera and lets us all know what's true or not, and also lets us know whenever kind of a musical interlude is going to come in right. and takes us out of the moment and into something that's more expressive or an element of commentary in that too, and that. I don't think it works. No. You know, and and <laughs> and the reason I think it doesn't work beyond whether or not I like it, which I don't, is it like I said it's I think it undercuts what succeeds about its uh creation of it's it's taking us into a place into into actual physical space and to the people within it. Then that, that it just yanks us out of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a weird move. It feels like some ob- obligatory tool that you didn't need to use. <laughs> Um, didn't actually need to use. Um, I don't know why. Maybe he watched like 24-hour party people or something. Clearly, or, clearly, definitely was a, a touchdown. Yeah, because the movie does have these musical sequences that basically, yeah, that's the way to describe them. That they're like little. Mu- I mean, there are people play music on stage. That's one musical aspect. But the other aspect is going onto a bus and people start bursting into song. 
Yeah. And what they burst in the song actually was uh, the passenger, yes. Iggy Pop. Um, yeah, all those songs are, are basically Western punk, post-punk standards. New wave, as well, because right. they do Talking Heads yeah. at one point. Yeah, yeah, we get Psycho Killer, we get Passenger, we get <laughs> all the young dudes. Right, you know, these are karaoke esque, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, Moulin Rouge-esque kind of like updated like resituating famous songs in a different context and thinking about that is kind of interesting when you realize this is Leningrad and there's a craving of western pop music and rock music and there's a kind of desire to be free as the, 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 the music that they're smuggling basically in um, that's interesting as it plays out it plays as cliche it, yeah. it, it plays I just sort of unsuccessful. Yeah, it's a shame because you know you see the bus sequence, and I mean you're kind of excited about it. I guess I don't know who without a heart isn't a little excited when people are bursting into song in a movie. Um, but then you're just, I'm also kind of cringing when it's happening. Um, yeah. And there's another aspect of the um, writing on film. Yes, I believe this was shot on a mix of like film and then some sort of hybrid. Um, thank you, Kodak press release. Uh, and so they, they really play up another kind of cliche of yeah. rock memories, the yeah. super eight memories they, they sometimes break out into like these strange, like triptychs where the center is the, are kind of super eight, you know, beach, t- beach fun footage of, of the gang and the, and the rockers. Uh, and then on either side, what I assume, again, I wish we had our Russian here. Um, I, lyrics, I think, right? That's what I think it is. At least because uh, there's think, writing on either yeah, side of the center lyrics panel. Lyrics on the right side and journal writing. And on journal the left on the writing on the left. Yeah. So, but yeah, clearly, clearly too much for the subtitles. Just a lot of movies. There's all these moves. You yeah. know that sequence, like where you've got basically two sides of writing with a kind of four by three uh, super eight footage yeah. in the middle panel, which is color. Then we go back to black and white, but the black and white has an aspect ratio that allows for extra room on the top and bottom for when the writing comes into it. Yeah. And the writing basically spills off of the image. Yeah. So it basically situates True. the image inside of a frame yeah, that includes the writing. Yeah. There's just so many there's moves. Yeah. You know, strong aesthetic moves. And I know that the you know, and I think it's as a subject, it's not like the yeah, like rock music in Leningrad in the early eighties and there's a lot there's a lot there so if you're going to make a lot of moves i guess like a music film is where you would do it it just still feels like too much yeah and um i mean let's talk about the music a bit um without getting too music nerdy um but uh it's strange it's like all sorts of music is happening at once and that's partly the nature of like i guess import being in a place where you're importing a lot of human music and and it's driven by people's passions and what it crowd pleasers and what gets symbolic value mm-hmm. and and all of all of that um but it's i mean it's even strange from the beginning because when mike i just can't get over that his name is mike for some reason it just it sounds um just because in the context of a very foreign setting it sounds <laughs> sounds funny but uh mike his when he starts actually singing uh, on stage and he wears these shades that I guess would come back into fashion in the 90s. He ends up reminding me more of like Liam Gallagher because he sings with this kind of, you know, derivative of Johnny mm-hmm. Rotten wine or, or not wine, it's more just kind of this nasal obnoxiousness. Right. Um, and he even sings a song later on that's Rock and Roll Star, which is a Oasis track. 
revealing too much. And uh, so that's weird. Although he's not at all in mood or anything at all. <laughs> like right. That. No, he's actually not. But and he, yeah. yeah, and and Victor's sound is a bit harder to pin down. I mean, part of his weirdness is that he's doing maybe slightly edgier lyrics, um, but uses a drum machine, right. and that's more of a could be in the time be like a post-punk move like you know something like colossal youth or something or not not at all like suicide but you know but to me it came off more like in the late 90s when you know indie mm-hmm. bands would kind of pick up a drum machine and, and just use it and it felt weird then now it's nothing but high, heavily produced music so it doesn't matter anymore <laughs> so there are all these different feelings you have when you're listening to this medley of of music mm-hmm. um and they're different touchstones like at one point they're recreating record covers and the first record cover they recreate is the entertainer by billy joel <laughs> the stranger oh the stranger yeah sorry stranger. yeah so yeah. please edit out my wrong title there <laughs> no whatever but yeah i mean he wrote songs yeah. Both the Entertainer and the Stranger. But yeah, no, it's bizarre, the stranger of all things. Yeah. Well, in terms of the music, though, I mean, what's also an interesting aspect of that is these are also played by contemporary Russian artists. So they have their own right. ref- reference true. points, which is not, you know, they're, they're, I know of the, the, the lead, Mike uh, Roman, I think is that Roman? Mm-hmm. He, um, he is a famous pop star. Um, I don't know about the rest, but they might also be. So any audience that's familiar with these actors is going to have another sort of set of references yeah, as they true. see this. And I think the film was actually probably playing with that a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, the element with the music that I actually struggled with is all this reliance on Western music and the big set pieces being Western music. And I know some of that has to do with how these, this music was worshipped and how hard it was to get. Yeah. But it does seem to degrade the music that they're actually making during this time. Yeah. The music that's being made in the film that I find really interesting. But I think that there's this, I get the sense from the filmmaker, from the, from the filmmaking, that there's an impatience with that music. So though, the, though they're making rock, it actually sounds more traditional and folk. Mm-hmm. And, and I get the sort of sense of wanting to give a, give us uh, um, a feeling of it being rebellious. These are rebellious people making rebellious music, even yeah. though it may not sound like that to our ears. But I wish it gave us a little bit more of a chance to yeah. just appreciate on its own terms. Yeah, definitely. And this might be a good time to mention the kind of, you know, outside the movie drama going on, which is that the director, yeah. who's also a theater, you know, director, artistic director uh, in... in uh, in Russia, in Moscow, I believe, is currently house in, arrest, in house arrest, or imprisoned, house arrest, house arrest, for being outspoken about his views. The nominal charges fraud, yeah. um, and as soon as the film was announced that it was in the in the you know in the in Cannes, um, they extended it so he to definitely yeah. prevent him yeah. from coming. So that adds a whole other layer to the kind of celebration of rebelliousness. Well, and it's and also it's, seeing it too is fascinating because, if anything. He made a film called The Student that I think was here a he couple was of years here, yeah. ago, um, which I like very much. And is far, it's a contemporary set film. Um, and it's about a sort of a, like a, a young man who's become a, re, a bit of a religious zealot. And his zealotry affects his school and his community. He basically like refashions it in a, in a, in a, in a rightist way, which is pretty much a, obviously a critique mm-hmm. in many ways of of extremism in general, but like right. the tendency in, in contemporary Russia, when you make it that you follow that up with a period piece, which is, I mean, 
I, 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 w- I wish I could know statistically how many like Russian finance films wind up being not about the 21st century, right. the 21st century. That's interesting. It, so many of them. Um, and it is a thing that you can do either to play it safe or actually to be um, devious because you can get it approved and financed. But this is not the sort of project that you'd think would be surrounding a filmmaker who is under house arrest and yeah. can make a film. If anything, this is actually a conservative at least in the broad strokes, yeah. a conservative choice. Yeah. The Autograph Collection Indie Film Project celebrates the synergy between independent film and Autograph Collection hotels. Indie filmmakers and screenwriters tell stories that inspire and connect us. And at Autograph Collection Hotels, storytelling is in our DNA, enabling travelers to connect with each other and places around the world in a memorable way. This dynamic cultural program is anchored in three key programs, screenwriters in residency, free indie films streamed at hotels throughout the U.S. and Canada, a portfolio of beautiful hotels and key film festival destinations. Learn more by visiting autographcollectionhotels.com. Autograph Collection Hotels, exactly like nothing else. The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Tony Ziera's Filmworker. This fascinating documentary introduces audiences to Leon Vitali, who, after starring as Lord Bullingdon in Barry Lyndon, gave up acting to work as Stanley Kubrick's right-hand man. The story of their decades-long collaboration offers a rare glimpse into Kubrick's filmmaking process. An official selection of the 55th New York Film Festival, Filmworker opens May 11th at Metrograph with Q&As before expanding to select cities. Now showing on MUBI, Jumana Mana's Wild Relatives. Straight from the Film Society of Lincoln Center's Art of the Real showcase of new nonfiction films, is a limpid, beautifully curious documentary. Stretching from Lebanon to Norway, Mana asks vital questions and makes vivid observations about agriculture in our changing world. Discover this along with 29 other hand-picked films streaming right now on MUBI for free. Just go to mubi.com slash film comment to claim your extended 30-day free trial. This is probably a good moment to go to our other yeah. Russian film that we have. Russian uh, in subject. Russian in subject, right. So filmmakers from Ukraine, uh, Sergei Lesnitsa, who's a regular uh, at the festival. And the film is Donbass. Mm-hmm. And it is the, I guess, the opening film of Uncertain Regard. Um, and just jumping off that really interesting point about films being made in the past to kind of inoculate them from, mm-hmm. from being threatening. That's a good word, yeah. Um, it was interesting that when Lesnitsa introduced the film, he said, like, I was inspired by some story. I didn't really make out what he said from a news story, so I decided to make this fiction about it. He kind of pointedly said that this is a piece of fiction. Right. But this is a movie that is set in, like, this, like a really fraught conflict zone uh, in Ukraine where Russia had made incursions and... There's this whole, you know, international <laughs> war drama and all the controversy also about how Russia can basically invade <laughs> another country and it never actually gets cold an invasion. Um, that's my understanding of it. Um, and this is, for me, it was basically a movie that is riffs on that, riffs on the whole thing, because it, it's, 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 it's just a series of scenes from around an air, a conflict area mm-hmm. viewed from different perspectives, uh, you know, from the perspective of of it starts out with people who appear to be like uh pretending to be witnesses to a staged bombing <laughs> uh and then you know you you have scenes with 
soldiers on the side of Ukraine, soldiers of uh, Russian forces who are pretending to be rebels, and then, you know, other, and no one is really, really very clearly identified. Maybe it's mm -hmm. clearer in the Russian when you hear it, but he, he also allows for this ambiguity. Um, and then, you know, people who are surviving, people on a bus, there's another kind of almost mm -hmm. a bus sing-along in this film yeah. where you're kind of privy to people's, it feels like you're privy to people's thoughts, but yeah. really you're just hearing one conversation while he's cutting over several people. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I've already kind of jumped in the deep end with, with my, my view of it, but that, it's a strange film because it doesn't really have a narrative. Uh, I mean, that's not strange in and of itself, but uh, it's, uh, it's just... It just keeps you going and going and going um, without always knowing where you stand. Um, and I think is a, I don't know, I, I would assume this is a film that would get someone into trouble. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I think he's, I mean, outside the auspices of the Russian government. So I don't think he's getting in trouble <laughs> yeah, that I, way. I used a, Amy called me on using some similar euphemism yesterday. <laughs> the way you described it is, is, is how I saw it as well. But what surprised me is that it almost feels like there's ways of, its approach to narrative is such that it almost feels like it's completely disconnected and then you actually realize that it's quite well threaded right um and arrives somewhere close to where it began and it adds up it's not signaling exact just like like you said like it's not it's not very clear about which uh, military forces we're with or who is a russian leaning person of the jet of, of the area and who is ukraine like the, it's all not well uh laid out there except for if you start knowing how to look for clues oh yeah and pay attention if you know what flag means what that's true you know, yeah like which uh, and and or the history behind certain things that are yeah. once you see it and notice it it's all over the place and i think similarly as things gather and again it continues in that fashion where one scene and one perspective follows the other and it doesn't feel connected to the one before. I think part of the power of the film is that you really have to get to that last shot to know how it's all adding up. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And, and you're, you're, you're absolutely right about, you know, um, if, yeah, if you have more of a clue about things, you know what you're looking at. Like, you know, there's one scene which I realized is basically showing the practice of artillery firing from one area and then moving out of that area so you don't know um you know then it's hard to track where you know you could cross a border shoot artillery then cross back across the border and then the wrong person gets accused you remember, mm -hmm. remember that scene of mm -hmm. the artillery and you're looking at it and you're kind of like what is going on here i don't even i don't even know what artillery particularly looks like they just look like trucks um and you're like oh that's what could be happening here and uh, you know, there's kind of a lot of that happening. A lot of scenes that go on and on and on. We are not sure that it's a put on or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, at one point a doctor gets like f framed in this weird, totally drawn out way. It's, it's, I mean, it's kind of a disturbing film and it's it actually made me think a little bit of, of Aust Austerlitz yeah. only because there's a film where you're already, you're also disoriented. That's a film that is in a, um, in a, you know, death camp. It's it the obviously it's a documentary by, by Loznitsa by Loznitsa, and it's it's showing tourists going there and acting just like they're anywhere, like they're a Disney World. Just I don't know, and that kind of estrangement from the gravity of what you're seeing, and the way reality can turn into a set piece, something of that came to mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, it also I mean you mentioned Austerlitz, the, his other documentary that followed that Victory Day. Um, 
this is a real companion to of, well, yeah, um, right of course yeah uh, and you know and this and, and the in that there are this the history of of conflict um, between these two factions that have shared a country for as much much of the you know the, of sort of the last century or so and the pageantry mm. uh, the importance of pageantry the importance of performing identity as distinct from another even though to the to the eye of a, of a moviegoer for this film it seems indis- you can't discern it until you do yeah and you need to learn it because you need to learn it because it's life or death but there's effectively it's performed right um you know so just in terms of how the film plays out i mean in some ways it plays like a comedy throughout yeah that's kind of been sort of his mode when he's not doing i don't know (laughs) that's a seagull that's amazing there's a really angry big seagull well the seagulls it's kind of hard to tell when they're angry or just talking he's belligerent one way or another <laughs> eric <laughs> noted seagullologist <laughs> um go, go, he's, go tickle his chin <laughs> uh his mode has been like seeming this, comedy this, or this kind of burlesque yeah. thing yeah, you yeah. Know? i mean that's all over a gentle creature and i think that's part of what made that movie hard for people especially again with the ending in in, in mm-hmm. that movie um, and here it's here and I had to admit I had a bit of a problem in this one as well because it felt like it did it I don't know it, it didn't feel as profound as it could have maybe and mm-hmm. honestly I don't know that I liked all the actors performances mm-hmm. some of them mm-hmm. I don't know they felt kind of yeah, kind of tossed off comic players I'm sure they're all eminent <laughs> Russian actors I also have to confess my ignorance there um, but yeah I mean I don't know if this was the greatest direction of actors necessarily <laughs> throughout the film but I think as a film that often felt like dramatizing facts of life <laughs> that he wanted you to know about that are, are I think that's how I took a lot of it yeah yeah I think it's a significant film um, mm-hmm. and I don't know that it's going to get out there any more than Gentle Creature did it's, yeah. it's troubling in the ways that it means to be but also troubling in a way that I think it's hard to know what to do with um I hope I'm wrong because I think he makes he's one of the most exciting filmmakers working today, and and the other thing about why this is again going to be hard, maybe it's not going to as you I don't think he's going to get punished for this, but it is overtly political, yeah, like real um, broadsides against things in Russia right now. Yeah, um, this one is less cultural than it is outright political, um, whereas the other films I think are quite you know a, a real strong critique of a kind of uh, moral ethical social elements of russia today this is very much um i think uh straight up you know and there's one particular sequence that um it's he's putting it right in your face yeah um and though there's a there's a there's a there's a tendency as you're watching to think Oh, n- n- there's no difference between the two sides. I can't tell who's who. I can't tell who's Ukraine, who's, who's Russian. By the end, he really wants you to know in certain scenes who the Russians are and what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's, I don't think that's ineffective or wrong or misguided, but it's a fact. And it, I, th- I think it does. It, I don't know how that's going to sit with everybody, especially if you don't really know for yourself um, what it's based on. Yeah. 
Definitely. And uh, it's worth mentioning, this is something else that Luznitz has said in his introduction, which is that he finished shooting the last scene six weeks ago, I think is what he said. I, I, I wonder if he misspoke. Maybe he misspoke, because that sounds impossible. But it's, it's, but, I guess but it's I, possible. Maybe it was a late addition. I think it was added in a second yeah. wave of things. So, I mean, I mentioned that just because that seems to also speak to the urgency. The urgency of which, what he's which doing. He's, he's yeah. doing these films, because A Gentle Creature was his last film here last year. And, the, and then and, but and, Victory and Day is in between. Day in between, so... <laughs> yeah, it's insane. He's got something to say. <laughs> Um, but will the world listen? But all the more reason to be paying attention to what he's doing. Anytime yeah. a filmmaker is making films at that high level with that urgency, it's a time to be paying attention to what he's doing. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and I think that's a good point for us to conclude. Um, we have to go see 300 more movies. <laughs> so we have something to tell you about in the next episode. Um, but we'll leave it at that. And thank you, Eric. Thank you, Nick. And... Thank all of you for listening. We'll see you we'll tomorrow. talk to you tomorrow. Once again, thank you to Mubi for sponsoring this episode. Instead of offering hundreds of films, Mubi proudly presents just 30, every single one chosen by a human, not an algorithm. Don't forget to check out Wild Relatives, now streaming. Claim your extended 30-day free trial at Mubi, M-U-B-I dot com slash film comment. Autograph Collection Hotels are carefully chosen for their unique design, passion for craft, and an inherent connection to the locale. Each hotel has its own exactly-like-nothing-else story to tell. The Autograph Collection Indie Film Project supports independent film and celebrates the power of storytelling to inspire and connect people and places by leaving a lasting imprint. Autograph Collection Hotels, exactly like nothing else. The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Filmworker. This documentary about Leon Vitale, who gave up acting to work with Stanley Kubrick for decades, offers a rare glimpse into Kubrick's filmmaking process. In theaters starting May 11th.